0: Purim 2021 marks exactly one year on the Jewish calendar since we learned words like coronavirus and COVID-19. Last Purim we celebrated normally, though with a hint that an ominous future might beckon. Horror stories from Italy and elsewhere abroad were circulating, but we weren't quite certain what that pretended for us, presumably impervious Americans. Of course, we now know that we are not beyond the reach of an undiscriminating and vicious microbe. It has been a year of unmistakable tragedy, over half a million deceased in the United States alone. Although there still is so much we do not know about this disease, we certainly have far more understanding now of what we're up against and have adjusted our lives inestimably in response. At the same time, we recognize that vaccines have arrived, introducing concrete reprieve as well as a more intangible but no less important ingredient, hope. It is interesting to think about Purim in the context of where we stand today, sandwiched between terrible misfortune and optimistic horizons. After all, Purim is the only holiday that occurred, historically, between a moment of recent destruction and imminent rebuilding. In 586 BCE, after standing for 410 years, the first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies. The Jews were exiled and scattered throughout what became the Persian kingdom. Yet the prophet Jeremiah assured them that their displacement would only be temporary and that in 70 years' time they would return to Israel and construct a second temple. Although Cyrus had actually begun repatriating the Jews and allowing the process to begin, his successor, Ahasuerus, had halted the reconstruction, miscalculated the end time of the prophet's 70-year warning. He believed he had conclusively defeated the Jewish people. In celebration, Ahasuerus organized the drunken... Orgiastic feast lasting 180 days. The debaucherous celebration featured holy vessels plundered by Nebuchadnezzar from the first temple, further humiliating the Jews and demonstrating that their relationship with God truly had been abrogated. Sadly, most of the Jews themselves participated in the event, succumbing to the despair for their nation that it embodied. Of course, our hero Mordecai decried this behavior, and ultimately his and Esther's bravery staved off total genocide, and eventuated the temple's rebuilding. What I find striking about this story is the Jews' swift descent into moral despair. 900 years earlier, they had miscounted Moshe's anticipated return from Mount Sinai, leading them to construct a golden calf. And now, they again despair due to a calendrical error, abandoning all hope for a redemptive future. A people that had served God in the Holy Temple with its holy instruments only decades prior was now imbibing libations of treachery from those very same vessels. A nation that for centuries had been united in its sacred worship was now, quote, scattered and dispersed among the other people in all the provinces. Simply put, the Jews lost hope. And in the process, they forgot how to be a family. In preparing to share this year's thoughts, I decided to revisit what I wrote at this time last year. On March 5th, 2020, I pondered, Isn't it fascinating that amidst such a fractured and polarized society, we are being reminded just how connected we really are? And not only has the spread of the disease demonstrated this truth, but combating it also requires the shared vigilance and unified efforts of citizens worldwide. I wrote those words before any thought of lockdowns, and just days before we were told two weeks to flatten the curve. We had no idea that soon we would be forcibly separated from those beyond our immediate confines and that this social disruption would persist for a year and beyond. It was easier then to speak about unity. Even if we often fell short of the goal, at least we knew how to exist with others if we wanted to make the effort. But now? One of my great fears is not that the health protocols will prevent us indefinitely from returning to our previous social realities, but that our own psychological blockages will do so. Over the past year, we have been conditioned not only to avoid others, but to fear them. The habits of mind that we have embraced for our safety might unwittingly deny us the embrace of our fellow humans for longer than necessary. And so this year, these same messages of togetherness and hope as twin antidotes to exile assume heightened urgency. Millions, myself included, have been vaccinated. We mourn the unspeakable toll of this disease, but also recognize that it may soon be receding. Purim, this sandwich holiday, offers a splendid recipe to prepare us for the re-entry we all desperately crave, but may have forgotten how to achieve. As she prepares to risk her life to save the Jewish people, Esther instructs Mordecai to go and gather all the Jews. Their solidarity out in the land, she knows, is integral to her success in the palace. Along those lines, on this special day, we send gifts, mishloach Manot, to one another, and place a particular emphasis on giving charity to the needy, Matanot Lev Yonim. We read the Megillah in the most public gatherings we can manage, attenuated this year, but still as a congregation, and we eat a festive meal that includes intoxicating drink, erasing barriers between people, and allowing pure love to emerge. All of this counteracts Haman's claims of our divisiveness. We are one people after all. This Purim, we still must be prudent. But as we enter this awkward yet optimistic phase of the pandemic, we must prepare for that proverbial day after. We can begin by celebrating Purim, a time when we stand poised to rebuild, and a time when we remind ourselves just how vital the notion of Jewish family is to Jewish destiny. Purim Sameach and Shabbat Shalom.